you are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and Canacurious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. The State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Hi, and welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Wednesday, March 2nd, 2022. This is episode number 227. I'm Susan Sorries, the founder of the State of Cannabis News Hour, author of the children's book, What's Growing in Grandma's Garden, and Cannabis' Favorite Grandma, aka Nanogram. If you're listening to the podcast or watching on the YouTube channel, the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time on Clubhouse. Spark it up with us and over 27,000 State of Cannabis News Hour members if you want to be an audience participant. That's one of the unique things about this show. Not only do we have a panel of expert correspondents, often we have someone in our audience that is intimately involved in our headlines. Otherwise, please subscribe to support our show. We'd love to hear from you, so please leave us a review. Today we're talking about cannabis sales could jump 22% this year, the complications of polling cannabis, parent confusion over CBD, what's going on with lobbying, Bill, I didn't inhale Clinton comments on CBD and then has it deleted, the state of the union and what wasn't said, Twitch might be the marketing answer we're looking for, Ladybuds the movie, and many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. The following program contains coarse language and nudity. Viewer discretion is advised. Audience, feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on a headline after it's been read, and we'll try to bring you up to the stage. Keep it brief and relevant, or you might get the gong. Kicking off the show today is Nicole West. She is a cannabis business specialist, part-time firefighter and cat herder, and director of operations at LB Atlantis. Nicole is a veteran in the cannabis industry and is always ready to use her experience to guide others. That experience includes taking a felony for a vague and confusing law. During her brief incarceration, she earned the nickname Jail Google from fellow inmates. What's your headline today, Nicole? Well, good morning, and thank you for the lovely introduction, Susan. Happy hump day, everybody. And for those of you in the audience, um, when Susan says that I'm a part-time firefighter, I'm, it's more of a metaphorical thing. I had somebody the other day ask me, when did I start being a firefighter? I'm not, metaphorically speaking. The cannabis industry is burning down. And my headline this morning is coming from Green Market Report from our very own Gretchen Gailey. And it is about the State of the Union that happened yesterday where cannabis was a no-show. Um, And now I first want to state, I am not a Republican, I am not a Democrat, but boy, Gretchen, did you get this spot on. President Joe Biden began his first State of the Union address laying out the numerous ways in which he was working to support the people of war-torn Ukraine. He went on to describe his triumphs in turning around the economy post-pandemic and rattled off several issues that he says needs to be dealt with, like crime, infrastructure, childcare, opioid abuse, veteran care, even going so far as to cure cancer. But the one element that was lacking 
from the speech, cannabis. Don't get me wrong. I didn't expect Biden to announce the legalization of cannabis or even announce his willingness to finally maintain his campaign promises of decriminalizing pot or releasing those in federal prison for nonviolent marijuana offenses. <laughs> However, I would like President Biden to open his eyes and recognize that cannabis is one plant that could actually help with the problems that he's described. First, President Biden wants Congress to pass his infrastructure plan to provide us with better roads, bridges, jobs. Who wouldn't want that? Why don't we build the next generation of infrastructure in this country with hemp? The hemp industry is ready to take its place in our roads, our textiles, and our job markets with its inclusion in the 2018 Farm Bill. It's time for President to take uh, this industry to the next level, clean up the muddy regulations, and provide the industry with the super sites that it necessarily needs to scale up and make it a reality. Let this booming space provide the materials you seek and put American workers back to work. So many other Americans, uh, like President Biden, would like us to see finally conquering the crippling epidemic of opioid abuse. However, he continues to ignore the amazing potential of medical cannabis. According to the Journal of American Medical Association, researchers have seen 25% drop in opioid abuse where medical marijuana was legalized. That was not a stat baked up by the back and some hotboxing van read the report President Biden, please. Study after study has shown medical cannabis helps the pain relief for our war fighters and has gone a long way to help with PTSD. President Biden needs to look at the research of Dr. Sue Sicily, who has dedicated her entire life advocating for veterans and access to cannabis. Her work is providing relief for veterans who have not been able to find the care that, from the VA. But even her hands were tied when it comes to being held back by the red tape at the DEA and less than ideal government issued cannabis for her research. He rounded out his speech by talking about, talking about finding a cure for cancer. Interesting. I can't claim that cannabis cures cancer, but I know that research, who, researchers have done amazing work in the space, like Mara Gordon, have seen tumors in children disappear and others go into remission for years. We all know friends who have used cannabis to help the loved one what, obtain a better quality of life, and the time has come right now. These stories remain just stories in the president's mind. I would implore researchers to turn this an inspiring mission of curing cancer to look to cannabis as a possibility. For the past seven years, I have had the privilege of being a part of the industry, nay, this community. And, and every day, I learn some new ways that this amazing plant can impact our lives. It's way overdue for president to step up and out of his reefer madness mindset and learn about what this plant can do, or at least what he promised his campaign. God bless America and God bless cannabis. And that was from Miss Gretchen Gailey. Thank you so much for all of that insight. And yeah, I watched about six minutes of the State of the Union, realized I couldn't take listening to much more of it, but this is hugely important, Gretchen. It was completely left out. Shows me that we're not being heard or paid attention to in the way that we'd like. Um, also, it kind of feels as if maybe our, our uh, you know, vacuum of sound here, we're not getting to the people that matter some days. And I'm, you know, curious as to when it's actually going to happen. Descheduler bust is still going to stay on my, you know, continuum. But uh, yeah, super curious to hear what the audience or any of the panelists have to say. I'm Nicole West, of course. Good job, Gretchen. Gretchen. Excellent job, Gretchen. And um, I think Joseph Biden, Joe Biden, just opened the door for Republicans to take this shit on home. Like he left, he left his whole constituency out to dry by not mentioning cannabis at all last night. Period. I mean, did anyone really expect him to mention cannabis? I at did all? not. I mean, no. We just we, we've got Russia invading Ukraine, so 
I didn't expect him to speak about it, but cannabis has been mentioned before in the State of the Union, uh, not by him. Um, but so it would not hurt to start addressing this. And frankly, and those are just a few issues that I rattled off when I was pissed off at 11 o'clock at night when this thing had finally finished. Uh, but there are just so many other topics, like Christopher Smith could educate him on childcare and how cannabis could be a good thing. And we shouldn't be throwing parents in jail uh, who are just trying to provide medicine to their children. I mean, that was almost every single issue that he covered. There was a way that cannabis could go better uh, to help better the lives of Americans. And the fact that they just continue to turn a blind eye and refuse to look at it. uh, Dem Zam Republicans just pisses me the fuck off. Um, And he he needs to deal with this. He could have at least alluded to it. Alternative methods, uh, alternative medicine methods or something. He could have done it one time yeah he could have we've got we were a time uh but i wanted to give michelle uh, 10 seconds michelle uh, from the audience just wanted to say that our family and many others are trapped in our own state because we cannot leave without our medicine for my daughter this is it's crazy that a zip code determines where we can access our medicine i can't visit my parents i can't visit anybody it really sucks they should do something about this. Absolutely. And I thought the most bizarre, I I really enjoyed the speech, by the way. I think he got a lot of bipartisan support. Uh, But the the last thing that he said was so bizarre. It was like, what did you just say? I thought that was... Go get him! I I thought he was going to say, let's go Brandon. (laughs) (laughs) Go get him! What is that? What? Hey, but did anyone see what Kamala Harris was wearing last night? It was beautiful. Her whole outfit outfit blended into the chair that she was sitting behind. She looked great, Jason. Terrible color Uh, choice. Totally on board with you. No, a lot of people. I thought Kamala Harris looked like she'd been working out. She looked cool. Yeah. Whoever styles her must have been one of those staffers. It was like a burgundy chestnut. It was a beautiful color. Let's keep it. It was shit brown. It was shit brown. Oh, come on. about what Biden was wearing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean we, all, I'm like, why are we just are, talking about her? Are you sure that that was actually sexism? Biden and that wasn't just an AI robot? Okay. Okay. We're going to keep moving. We're way over time. Up next is Rico Lamite. He likes to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask. The self-proclaimed dopest dad alive is here to encourage other dope dads. He's also the patriarch of dad jokes on the show. Find him on TEDx or at one of his Cannavision events, but always find him here every weekday as co-producer of the State of Cannabis News Hour. What you got today, Rico? Oh, man. So mine's coming out of MJ moment. Cannabis and civil rights groups demand legalization vote on the House floor this month. So in what might be the hottest tag team effort since Jay and Ye did watch the throne back in 2011, top cannabis and civil rights reform groups sent a letter to House of House leadership on Tuesday demanding a floor vote to federally legalize cannabis and promote social equity this month. Not this quarter, not this year, this month. The Marijuana Justice Coalition, or MJC, comprised of more than 20 brand name advocacy organizations, I'm talking ACLU, National Urban League, Human Rights Watch, just to name a few, says reform is long overdue and further delaying a vote will mean continued incarceration over cannabis. On the weed side, its signatories uh, included DPA, Students for Sensible Drug Policy, UFCW, Veteran Cannabis Coalition, and pretty much every other organization with clout in the game right now. Although a cinematic trilogy would definitely help revive struggling 
theater ticket sales, the two sides are answering to a higher calling. They've united in demanding a floor vote on the Moore Act this month, which passed the full House vote last session, cleared the sponsors uh, panel again in September and died once again so the debate could live on another day. Spoiler alert. The lengthy letter contains pretty much every advocacy, advocacy talking point we've all come where well of over the last few years. And you can read it in, in its entirety by clicking the article link and following there. But what's different this round is where last time that all the haters clapped back with, we don't believe you. We need more people. These motherfuckers literally brought the whole damn block with them in what seems to be a maneuvering tactic to force naysayers on record being on the wrong side of history. The letter to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer states, given that nearly every minute one person in this country is arrested for a minor marijuana crime, the public deserves to know if members of the 117th Congress stand on the side of justice and against the outdated and cruel policy of prohibition and criminalization of marijuana. Will we actually get a vote on this by the end of this month? Will Joe Biden's chapped-ass lips utter the words cannabis reform before midterms? He sure didn't last night. Will Chuck Schumer's long-awaited CAOA bill ever be more than just vapor? Is Republican supervillain Nancy Mace somewhere laughing at this whole thing as she swims laps in her Olympic-sized pool filled with Coke and Amazon cash? Find out on next month's episode of Canna Kabuki. This is Rico Lamite, the dopest dad in these L.A. streets, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I know my colleagues on both sides of the aisle got something to say about this one. Where are you at, Jason? Canna Kabuki. Canna Kabuki, yeah! Of course, I would like to see more legislation come up for a vote. However, Nancy Pelosi does not like to lose, and she ain't sending more to the floor because she knows it's going to die in the Senate. She doesn't like to look bad sending legislation over to the Senate to die. Not going to happen. It's not going to get a vote. Hey, I didn't even know we were still MLB. talking about more. Uh, well, <laughs> but wait, there's more. <laughs> oh, that's too Ross. funny. That's too good of a soundbite right there, you guys. Ross, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say that m for mm did sign on. Um, we have been working with the Marijuana Justice, um, Marijuana Justice Coalition um, over the last year. And, um, you know, and they, they really did do a good job in regards to galvanizing. But I do think it's still politics that's going down. And, you know, we have two, two sides of, you know, two chambers that we have to get a bill like this across. And I just see on the Senate side just, just losing steam. So um, I think I give them an A for effort for sure. It's not supposed to be an E for effort, Roz. <laughs> it is supposed to be an E for effort. Yes, you were right. Because <laughs> a, lot, a lot of these kids are still in elementary school. Don't forget <laughs> well, listen, you know, E for effort, A for effort. Um, but, yeah, they they did bring the, the, the noise this time. And, you know, and I think it'll pass. I think if they did a vote right now, it passed last time without the, the people that are on there, I think it would pass. But we got to go on the Senate side. And the Senate, you got to have two-thirds votes. And I don't see there's a whole bunch of Democrats on the Senate side who won't even stand up for this. And then you also got to get some Republicans on on top of that, too. And so I just I don't see it happening. Roz, you only need 51 votes to pass the Senate. Are you sure? I thought it was 50 yes. votes. So this 51 votes. My, all right, my bad. My bad. Yeah, you don't need a supermajority. But so people need, also, I'm sorry, Roz, need people to need to remember. Block, right? <laughs> people need to remember when they say the Moore Act passed before, that it passed during a lame duck session, which means that members who weren't going to be around anymore were like, sure, what the hell, I'll vote for it. Doesn't mean it's going to have uh, the same power uh, when those votes actually matter during an election year. 
100% Gretchen. I think it is also too important to note that that is the more act than when it was voted on Congress previously is the first time Congress ever voted to deschedule cannabis. Well, deschedule it or bust. Uh, thank you so much for that headline, Rico. Uh, definitely something we're going to obviously keep following uh, in the foreseeable future. Up next, we have Roz McCarthy. Roz is Minorities for Medical Marijuana founder and CEO. What do you have for us today, Roz? Hey, hey, man, I wasn't even ready, but I got a great story. Hold on one second. We're going to be talking about um, Ladybirds, and I don't know if you guys have seen this. It's a, um, a, actually a new show that's going to be on um, Hulu. Let me just pull, pull up my – sorry about that, guys. So Ladybirds, it's a documentary, and um, happy Women's History Month to everybody, all the women out there that were making history in cannabis, and, and you know, just give you guys all a shout-out. Um, basically, Ladybirds documentary – it's a women's struggle and victories in the cannabis industry generates two spinoffs. Um, Ladybuds is a documentary that explores the lives of six women seeking to enter a legal cannabis market in Northern California. California. The film shot between 2017 and 19 chronicles the lives of Sue Taylor, Chia Rodriguez, um, Felicia Car- Carbajal, um, Karen Wagner, and the Bud sisters Pearl Moon and Dr. Joyce Centofanti. Sorry if I messed up names. Ladybuds aims to shed light on the problems faced by women who are part of the cannabis industry. As reported by Deadline on February 23rd, the documentary from director and producer C.J. Russo is getting a pair of spinoffs, a scripted comedy feature as well as non-scripted series. Former WME, WME and Endeavor content executive Piper Lambert is developing a comedy feature based on the documentary titled Hellcat. Women may not be the face of cannabis, but they've always been the backbone of the culture. Before legalization, 36% of leadership roles in the industry were held by women, and that number is now 22%, Lambert said. These growers are as dynamic as they are diverse, and they're truly inspiring. I'm thrilled to be bringing their story, a true and still, a true and still unfolding David and Goliath tale for our times to life on the big screen. The second project is a series directed by Wally Eltawashi for Europa Media Labs. The project focuses on Sue Taylor and her daily life as a cannabis business owner providing cannabis access to seniors. I couldn't be happier to know that my film, Lady Buzz, is inspiring adaptations that will allow me to continue to support and tell the stories of these courageous pioneering women Russo shared on social media. This, this film is kind of nothing like you've ever seen before because there hasn't ever really been a film that shows such a wide range of areas that just like seeing it through a female lens. In my film, you explore the challenges of the entire supply chain with the women who are directly engaged in it. I like to make films that I want to see, so I want to see more women in positions of power and roles that are very positive. Hey. You're roboting. Um, We've got Stephen Elliott up from the audience. Did you want to comment about the Ladybuds movie? Oh, my God. My wife and I watched that last night, and it had us laughing and tears and you know, if anybody wants to know the plight of cannabis in California, there you go. I can't believe they made this. I am so proud of them making this film. This is such an awesome film. I do suggest highly, highly, and agree with Roz 100%. And I was, like, jumping up and down for joy when Roz brought this up. I'm like, we just watched that last night. And my wife's like, yo, you got to tell the people on Clubhouse about this. I'm like, I'm going to. Thank you, Roz. You're awesome. This is an awesome story. And this is uh, uh, an incredibly impactful, truthful, 
Rebels Cause freaking film, and it is awesome. Please, 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 please go look at it. Thank you for letting me up on stage. Bye. Thank you, Stephen. Um, that that was a great uh, review of the movie, and I'm going to clip it and give it to the filmmakers. No, uh, if anybody hasn't seen the, uh, the original documentary yet, uh, my good friend Felicia Carbajal was featured in it. It was outstanding. I think the new news out of this is actually it's inspired two new projects, two new spinoffs from the original documentary um, that, that, that dropped a few months ago. So if you haven't seen the original, definitely see that. Make sure you guys see um, check out the new uh, spinoffs that have um, uh, been spawned from it as well. Big shout out to women in the, in the cannabis industry and shout out to women's is it Women's History Month? Is that what it is? Women's yes, History it is. Month. Yes, it is. There we yep. go. Big shout out to the women in the game. Also, too, this uh, this movie, I originally uh, met the director when she was in the process of filming this movie. We actually met at jury duty of all places. Roz, did, did your sound get better? Did you want to uh, wrap up your story? No, no, I think, you know what? Our commentator who came up on stage, he said it all in, in so several words, and I think it's just it's just great. It's exciting something uh and so i'm excited oh man love you rise <laughs> you couldn't hear a damn word you were saying are we at the end of time for that one yes <laughs> all right all right he is the cannabis industry's longest continuously running retailer and uh detroit he's known as white gucci in Maralago, he's known as Gucci Blanco. Yeah, to us, he is the industry's very own Kaiser Brose, and he enjoys sipping on the most fresh, desalinized liberal tears that are passed to him from Gretchen Gailey. You are fake news. <laughs> up next is Jason Beck. <laughs> oh, that was great. Thank you so much, Rico. And yes, there was plenty of liberal tears to sip on after last night's speech. But my story has not, absolutely nothing to do with it, even though it does. Where big business groups, unions, tribes spend millions lobbying Congress on marijuana issues. Amazon, Anheuser-Busch, labor unions such as the Teamsters, as well as Native American tribes are among the dozens paying lobbyists tens of thousands of dollars to weigh in or simply monitor cannabis reform proposals in Congress as well as their overall lobbying efforts. According to Open Secrets, a nonprofit research group that tracks political spending, at least $4.3 million was spent in 2021 by 22 clients who employed 100-plus professional lobbyists to focus primarily on cannabis reform. Um, up from $3.7 million in 2020. In 2011, the first year for which Open Secrets has lobbying records for cannabis, 35000 was spent on three lobbyists to focus on cannabis issues. Stakeholders in 2017 spent $1.6 million lobbying Congress specifically about cannabis issues, and the spending has continued to climb with at least $15.4 million spent between 2018 and 2022, according to Open Secrets tallies. According to federal lobby disclosure records, the number of organizations, companies, and tribes that spent at least some cash on lobbyists to work on cannabis issues before Congress last year was higher than 50, more than double the number tracked by Open Secrets. The vast majority of those groups, however, also spent money lobbying on other issues uh, pertinent to their business or backgrounds, which makes it difficult to discern exactly how much those stakeholders spent specifically on cannabis-related lobbying. And here's some of the figures for you guys. Marlboro, 
maker of Altria client services roughly spent around $12 million. Amazon spent almost $10 million. Insurance giant Lloyd's of London came in at a whopping $440,000. And investment titan Morgan Stanley spent $200,000. Then it comes into some industry group spending. And we have companies like Leaf spending $280,000. Pharmacan spending a whopping $120,000, and Pax Labs also with another $120,000. And then you have the elephant in the room that no one ever likes to talk about. That's right, everybody. Scott's Miracle Grow coming in at just under a quarter million dollars with $240,000. And then we have Acreage Holdings with a very minuscule $30,000. Not even sure what they're doing with that. And then we have Holistic Industries coming in at $220,000. And there's two major labor unions that already have sizable cannabis industry memberships also spent money to lobby Congress last year. The International Brotherhood of Teamsters coming in at $1.5 million. The United Food and Commercial Workers Union at $760,000 spent millions last year lobbying Congress, including money that went towards cannabis-related purposes. Molson Coors and Beverage Company, $2.1 million. Anheuser-Busch Constellation, at least 80,000, excuse me, Constellation Brands spent 320,000 and the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States with nearly $5 million. The Wine and Spirits Wholesalers of America as with at least 1.4 million and the National Beer Wholesalers Association coming up at a whopping $850,000. With all this cash getting spent on lobbying and cannabis and cannabis reform, all you have to do is follow the money. And this is Jason Beck reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. All that money, and Joseph Biden ain't said motherfucking thing about cannabis last night. Mm-mm. It ain't enough. It ain't you enough. You know, bro, it costs to be the boss. Here we go. When you hear numbers that are lower than $1 million from corporations like Anheuser-Busch and, you know, uh, R.J. Reynolds and Philip Morris, when you're hearing less than a million dollars, like when, you know, Rico always says, follow the money, like it ain't there, obviously. It's not there yet, at least. I was just shocked that Acreage mm-hmm. Holdings only hit five digits and not six digits. That's very disappointing. They have large salaries to pay out, Jason. I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't really hear many of the cannabis industry lobbying organizations that collect money from a lot of us with the intention of doing federal level lobbying. Didn't really hear big numbers or their names on that list. Well, their their names are on their list, bro. And there was a a number of them uh, listed uh, on that list. Um, uh, And and I think, let me, uh, I'll have to go back and look. Yeah. They're just taking our money and, uh, buying weed with it it better be good weed at least bro like (laughs) my fucking federal dollars my federal lobby money like deschedule or bust like don't spend it all on fucking not deschedule i I could definitely see these msos taking that lobbying cash and 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 buying actual good weed with it (laughs) for the right i have the top 10 top 10 uh companies spending money on uh, on lobbying we have canopy growth corporation coming in at nine hundred and sixty thousand dollars national cannabis roundtable five hundred and eighty eight thousand dollars u.s cannabis council three hundred and seventy thousand dollars ghost management group aka weed max three hundred and sixty thousand dollars global alliance for cannabis commerce three hundred and twenty thousand dollars leaflink two hundred and twenty thousand national cannabis industry association two hundred thousand dollars 
Columbia Care, 190,000, Kronos Group, 170,000, and True Leave, rounding it out at $160,000. And that's your top 10 cannabis insiders spending spree. Those motherfuckers are playing at Circus Circus. Oh, man. All right. Well, thank you so much for that headline. Uh, oh, actually, do we want to do the relight or jump to Minica? Um, let's do the relight. That is a great idea. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers, not those of any other speaker, State of Cannabis, or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice, and State of Cannabis and its speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or any other authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationships. The sponsorship of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expressions of any of the opinions whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any of its speakers. Viewer discretion advised. If you missed the beginning of the show, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcast or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave us a killer review. A family raised with roots in Long Beach, a single mother building generational wealth, the first of its kind, changing lives and enhancing highs, Medicaid high luxury, meet Canna Express. High luxury cannabis flower and concentrates available now at your local Catalyst dispensaries. Let's keep smoking the news. Well, up next, we have Miss Menika Mahajan, the pot smoking PhD, political economist, and the founder of Mahajan Consulting. What do you have for us today, Menika? Good morning, Nicole. Good morning, correspondents and audience. I am talking today about data and public opinion. My headline reads, public polling on marijuana is more complicated than you may realize. And this is an opinion piece written by Kevin Sabet of Smart Approaches to Marijuana, also known as SAM. The article appeared in Newsweek. A recent Emerson College poll suggests that Americans are far less supportive of cannabis legalization than other polls would lead us to believe. SAM commissioned the poll and SAM, according to its website, to give you a little bit of context, aims to prevent the establishment of big marijuana that would market marijuana to children and to prevent big tobacco from taking over big marijuana. It considers both to be the very likely results of legalization. This is an opinion piece, but I dissected it, and I'm going to be representing the data and also some of the methodology that led the author to these findings. The Emerson poll also contrasts its findings against the Gallup data point, and I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Both polls use the word marijuana instead of cannabis, and I'll go between the two. So, Sabat looked at the, the data and deduced the following. 62% of Americans favored policies other than the legalization of the drug, the full legalization of the drug, meaning support for full commercial legalization, the production, re recreational use, and sales, their words, like in stores. This helps explain the defeats of legalization bills in South Dakota and Virginia in February. And there are widespread concerns about big pot. This is the Emerson polling question. Which one of the following marijuana policies do you prefer? The respondents had four options. I'll also tell you the raw percentages of respondents for each category. And as I go through these, try to just visualize a bar chart with four columns that go from left to right. 13.5% said keep marijuana illegal Federally, yes, 13.5%. Then the remaining three categories have some form of loosening of restrictions. 18.5% say decriminalize personal use and possession, making it more like a traffic ticket. 30.1% say legalize marijuana for medical purposes only. 
and 38% say legalize and commercialize marijuana for production, recreational use, and sales, like in stores. When you take the first three categories and call them against full legalization, as the author of this piece does, it looks like most Americans don't support legalization. But those categories, as I mentioned, include those who want possession to look like a speeding ticket, those who support cannabis for medical purposes only, and um, the, the production for recreational, recreational use and sales. I could see respondents having difficulty choosing between categories three and four, which is medical and adult use, where the two can blend together in a state like California, for example. Now, if you, on the other hand, group the two categories that include presumably some form of distribution via pharmacies or dispensaries, you see 68% of support, which is what a Gallup poll found last year. If you look at just adults 50 years and older, the same two categories earn 73% support. If you look at Trump supporters in 2020, 64% supported legalizing uh, for medical and or adult use. Biden supporters in 2020 were seven percentage points more in favor at 71%. And finally, 70%, 73% of those who didn't vote in 2020 supported medical and or adult use. So if you look at those two categories of uh, the medical only versus the full commercial legalization, I think they really answer a different question, which is, do you think cannabis should be over the counter for adults or prescribed and dispensed more like a pharmacy? Depending on how you group those categories and present the data, it's possible to see public opinion very differently from the same data set. Sebet holds the Emerson poll up against a Gallup poll, and both have about 1,000 respondents weighted by age, gender, et cetera, to try to be representative of the full U.S. population. Both were conducted by phone and around the same time. The Gallup question was, do you think the use of marijuana should be made legal or not? Yes, no, or no opinion. 68% said yes, no age group opposed legalization. According to Savet, most polls are unnuanced, providing only two options, illegality or full legalization, and that leads them to deeply distort the actual views of the public. So what he has done, um, through, by what Sam has done by commissioning this research study through the Emerson um, polling, is they created those four categories, but then in this opinion piece, those, those four categories are used to answer a yes or no question, and so basically all the nuance that was created is then removed. There's more to see, and you can download the data set from the Emerson polling site. Full methodology is also available online. This is Menika Mahajan reporting for the State of Cannabis NewsHour. Kevin Sabet is America's number one prohibitionist, and any information that Project Sam spews out there is only to fuel reefer madness across this country and is total 100% fake news. If I believed in polls, then Hillary Clinton would be president. Uh, polls are bullshit. Telling how you interpret them. <clears throat> I mean, in this case, actually, the poll shows something different. But if you pull the categories the way that this gentleman did, then then you can tell a different story. All, all, of their research, all of their research is skewed to show one point, and that is that cannabis should be remain illegal and should never be legalized. That's their whole objective of Project Sam. They're fucking crazy. Yeah. Was that poll wiped down before the next performer came to the stage? I was so going to go there, Enrico, <laughs> saying that polls belong in strip clubs. Yeah, polls are for dancing, y'all. Damn, I got rid of my stripper sound what effect. What the fuck is a stripper uh, sound effect? <laughs> what is a stripper sound effect? Oh, no. I'll, I'll try and find it. Clapping? 
You know, that song. Yeah, that's, that's, oh, that's sorry. Heel clacking. <laughs> Can you do heel clacking? <laughs> His name is Kevin Shabet. Kevin Sorbet. Kevin, kiss my fucking ass. <laughs> oh, oh, fuck. Thank God we agree on this, Jason. Take one, take one thing away from this, which is that less than 15% of Americans, according to this poll, support keeping fa- uh, cannabis federally illegal. Nice wrap-up, Manica. Nice headline. Let's keep smoking the news. Let's. Our next correspondent is an educator, brand strategist, healthcare consultant, founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. And I know it's Women's History Month, so I'm saying this in the least patriarchal and misogynistic way possible. She's also the state of Cannabis News Hour's very own pinup girl, known for bringing the data, not the drama. Up next, it's Liz Rogan. Thank you so much, Rico. Uh, greetings, everyone. I hope you're not distracted by this booth picture up top. But I want to thank you for joining us today. And my story comes from ArizonaFamily.com by Chris Pickle. The headline reads, Arizona Marijuana Lab find nearly 500K for intentional inaccurate results. They've got some funny names in here. On Point Laboratory, a cannabis testing laboratory based in Snowflake, Arizona, has been fined close to half a million dollars for repeated violations incurred over 18 months. A report by the Arizona Department of Health Services states these violations were committed intentionally and are a risk to the health, safety, and welfare of the public and medical marijuana qualifying patients. In October 2020, after an on-site inspection found multiple violations, OnPoint issued a corrective action plan, but they failed to follow through on a previous plan to fix issues. So in August 2021, after another review, Air Department... Uh, Arizona Department of Health Services issued a notice of intent to revoke their certification. During these inspections, OnPoint was found to have incomplete records and documentation for inventory, cannabis disposal, equipment maintenance records, and proper chemical storage and employee training. Inspectors found that OnPoint employees were trained to use techniques that produced inflated potency results. Security lapses were also documented. According to results, the separate multiple repeated violations included a FedEx driver and a workman walking through the building's unlocked front doors, and inner doors were propped open, providing access to storage area for cannabis products. No work women noticed walkthrough here. Anyway, inspectors found machines not properly calibrated to detect levels of contamination, testing for heavy metals, salmonella and E. coli, pesticides, herbicides, and solvents like propane and butane. In January 2021, OnPoint was linked to a voluntary recall over salmonella contamination in cannabis flour with brands including Harvest, Soul Flower, True Infusion, and others. OnPoint took full responsibility for this recall and defended the affected brands as clean, saying the recall is not the result of any wrongdoing by the products, dispensaries, or brands, but rather an audit-based testing discrepancy between it and the Department of Health Services. So yet again, OnPoint takes this position today, saying the industry as a whole simply wasn't prepared to meet immediate demands of a consumer market. And they provided inspection reports for other Arizona labs in 2021, showing that Desert Valley testing had one repeat violation and C4 laboratories had four violations. OnPoint did have the most violations with repeated violations of 13. On February 18, 2022, there was a Arizona DHS and OnPoint reached an agreement to allow the lab to keep its license with the terms that include OnPoint implementing corrective action plans and the lab will also pay $468,000 civil penalty. OnPoint's counsel appealed and requested an administrative hearing, but the hearing did not occur. 
So implementing the corrective action plan from 2020 is included in the agreement reached in February 2022. OnPoint will also select an outside auditor approved by AZDHS to perform additional inspections paid for by OnPoint. And the auditor has to submit a written report within 30 days. However, OnPoint did not admit, admit to any liability or wrongdoing. Arizona House Speaker Rusty Bowers is concerned over the relationship between Arizona Department of Health Services and the marijuana industry, which he calls chummy. Representative Bowers is sponsoring House Bill 2828 to create the Department of Marijuana Regulation, taking oversight of the industry away for Arizona Department of Health Services. Arizona Department of Health Services spokesperson Steve Elliott said ADHS remains in frequent communication with the on-point staff. Over the past few months, OnPoint has submitted corrective action plan documents showing the verifications of violations needed in the report of findings have been corrected and has provided verification that the laboratory owner no longer has a familial or financial relationship with or interest in a dispensary or related medical marijuana business entity. ADHS will make an on-site inspection to confirm these corrective actions and review the lab's recently tested samples for accuracy. So issues have not gone unnoticed by some in the industry. Curaleaf, a national chain with more than a dozen dispensaries in Arizona, confirmed they stopped accepting products tested at OnPoint eight months ago. So this is an ongoing issue we see across multiple states. With market value placed on high THC products, lab shopping is common, and many of us know these infamous labs. But different machines and different protocols produce different results, and states do not pro provide clear direction. I think the state should be held accountable for the lack of this accountability. And so I will quote Nicole West on deschedule or bust so we can have a standard across the board. This is Liz Rogan reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I would love to hear if anyone has any comments on this. This is a great story. Liz, thank you for covering this. Um, given the fact that, you know, multiple states, um, large and small labs have been in a lot of hot water over the last it's a year and a half or, or, or two being outed uh, for, for situations like this. Um, what kind of incentive uh, can be made or how can we get this right? You know, what kind of incentive can be made for the actual labs to stop competing? Maybe the, maybe mm -hmm. the customers need to, uh, I was wondering, Jason or Guy, um, have you ever had a customer question lab results? I question yes. lab results all the fucking well, time. Well, I know you do, but I'm asking if a customer yes. has. Yes. Retailers question lab results all the time. They micromanage every single detail as an objection for sales typically. Um, I have not had an actual consumer level person question our test results. Maybe that's what, maybe that's I, what it is, Susan. Um, we need to have a, a, a marketing campaign uh, telling the actual consumers, do you know what's in your weed? I've had customers question everything from uh, the wanting to see the actual COAs all the way down to uh, I had one product that was on a shelf for a company I was consulting for um, that they had taken the wrong Prop 65 clause off of another like type of uh, chemical and it was on the jar of weed saying that there might be uh, propane or arsenic in the jar of weed and I had a customer come back and be like why is there propane in this jar like so some consumers are but it's it's very rare but and, and with that said uh, there was 20 pounds of this product sold before one person noticed that the warning label said that there might be propane and arsenic in the jar lead. Rico, why would we want to encourage the industry to start questioning the professionalism and the uh, eff effectiveness of our testing and, and question the whole industry? Wouldn't that, wouldn't that open a can of worms we wouldn't want to Absolutely. Do? 
Uh, Hold on, Christopher. That's that, that's to assume that the testing is effective. Yeah. Yeah, I think the whole industry is a fucking can of worms. <laughs> it's already been it's already been open, and we need to start educating the actual end user, the end consumer, because this is the kind of shit that we need to get out there. We need to get good information. We need good lab results, and we need people to stop saying sativa and, and sativa and indica. Like, learn about the fucking compounds, learn about fucking terpene profiles, and learn what the fuck is in your weed. Hey, Rico, who let the worms out? Who? Who? Worms. Who? Who? But worms, worms, worms uh, don't bark, though. <laughs> we're at time on that headline. That, definitely thank you so much for that, Liz. Um, and we're going to go ahead and hop to our next correspondent, who is also the author of my headline today, Miss Gretchen Gailey, Washington Insider and the founder of Phenoptic Strategies. What kind of spice are you bringing for us today, Gretchen? Uh, good afternoon. Uh, my headline today is coming from Marijuana Moment uh, about one of my least favorite presidents, Bill Clinton. Article on Bill Clinton's CBD comments deleted following alleged pressure from former president's team. Former President Bill Clinton has apparently been hearing a lot about the therapeutic potential of CBD products for pain management lately. And according to a now deleted media report said at a recent conference appearance that broad interest in the topic should spur regulators to develop standards for the cannabinoid. An article covering Clinton's onstage conversation with CNN medical expert Sanjay Gupta at the Impact Forum in Orlando appeared in Cannabis and Tech Today last week, quoting the former president as saying there is some evidence that cannabidiol can help combat pain. But the story was taken down at the writer's request after the outlet allegedly faced pressure from Clinton's public relations team. It was all quoted accurately and live. It was pressure from the Clinton camp PR team that the comments were supposed to be closed to the press. So we respected the writer's request, a Cannabis and Tech Today editor wrote to Marijuana Moment in a Twitter direct message. That said, the publication told Marijuana Moment that they never want to retract a story and stand by the quotes, included in the story as reported by the journalist Sarah Brittany Somerset. A representative of the Impact Forum told Marijuana Moment in an email that the event is private and we do not issue transcripts, audio, or video. No press were authorized to attend this panel, we cannot verify how the content was obtained nor confirm quotes. Clinton's team did not reply to repeat a request for comment from Marijuana Moment nor did Gupta's. Clinton reportedly said at the event that he's heard from people about how low THC cannabis products can help in pain management. And while he doesn't typically answer any of those hype calls, he receives more messages about CBD than any man alive. Go figure, there is some evidence that you can get CBD with a low THC count that will combat pain. Some of these products have been tested more or less to FDA standards, and some haven't been tested, not at all, he said, according to the uh, since-deleted article. Clinton's drug policy record while in office has been widely criticized by advocates. Despite having admitted to using marijuana once or twice, though making the questionable caveat that he didn't inhale it, the Clinton administration opposed efforts to legalize medical cannabis and even took the extreme step of threatening to revoke Drug Enforcement Administration, prescribing licenses for doctors who recommended marijuana to patients in accordance with state law. Also, in spite of pleas to help reduce the racially disparate crack cocaine sentencing disparity, for example, the former president took no action to remediate the issue. He also rejected the request to lift a federal ban on harm reduction policies like syringe exchange programs. Yet in an exit interview published by Rolling Stone in 2000, Clinton appeared to endorse cannabis reform, saying he thinks that most small amounts of marijuana have been decriminalized in some places and should be. 
Last week at the Impact Forum event, the former president reportedly stressed the need to have a national standard of the THC count of these products and what the tests show. Uh, this is one thing that, ironically, I do agree with the president on. More needs to be looked into about CBD regulations. I wish uh, cannabis and tech had had more of a backbone and had not deleted the post um, and let the story remain. However, given uh, the article's author, uh, I can believe that something went down uh, that was not of the most ethical uh, for this uh, article to be written in the first place, and that the Clinton PR team probably had a legitimate gripe. Uh, this is Gretchen for Cannabis News Hour. When I was in England, I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it, and didn't inhale, and never tried it again, and didn't inhale. Why, why is Bill Clinton still a thing? <laughs> He's a president. Presidents are always a thing. Yeah, I guess. I guess so. I was I, I was talking with Whoopi one time, and uh, we were talking about Bill not inhaling, and she's like, "That's fucking bullshit." I was fucking with Bill, and he totally fucking inhaled. Makes you wonder what else Bill Clinton has done that he's lied to us about. Oh, Does God. it involve Let's a cigar? Rico, come on, come on. Either either way, uh, if the president was willing to be more vocal and had and could shut down his PR team and actually come out as a uh, advocate for the space, um, let's take him. I don't see why not. It's fucked up. Hillary keeps silencing him. Jason, you really think that they actually see each other? You're out your mind. Only when they both dressed up in dresses and high heels. Oh my god, dude! Are you talking about Rudy Giuliani? Thanks, thanks, dude. No, I think he's talking about the uh, the picture of Bill Clinton. I'm talking, on, yes, I'm talking about the Epstein's picture of Bill Clinton in a dress and high heels. Yes. So am I. Bill Giuliani in a dress with Donald Trump, but never mind. Anyway. Let's keep smoking the news. <laughs> She's a master of divinity, juris doctorate, graduate tax scholar, repping Georgetown Law, focusing on cannabis and psychedelics, and this taxivist is working hard to expand safe access, protect religious freedom, and promote social justice in cannabis, psychedelic, and tax laws. So you got you got to respect this respect the fact that you know she stays lit, man. Victoria Littman, welcome back to the team. What you got for us? Thanks for the intro. Happy to be back after a few weeks away. My news today comes out of my new home state, Rhode Island. After a few years of back and forth, there's a new plan to legalize recreational cannabis in Rhode Island was introduced in the state house and the Senate this past Tuesday, uh, kicking off what will be months of debate before a final bill is potentially, I would say, probably approved. The new legislation is a result of talks between the chambers. It's not necessarily a compromise with the governor. Uh, the identical bills that were introduced would allow adults 21 and older to possess up to an ounce of cannabis and grow small amounts at home. It allows for prior possession charges to be expunged, but only upon uh, the request of the convicted person. So the state sponsor said the new bill's process would be virtually automatic, uh, where they would actually allegedly be able to seek the expungement online. The governor's recent version made the expungement automatic. Um, a total of 33 cannabis retail stores would be allowed to open under the new proposal, which is a pretty decent number given the small size of the state. You can drive across the whole state in 45 minutes. Um, and that number includes the existing nine compassion centers, which would be allowed to seek hybrid licenses to sell medical and recreational. Uh, the remaining 24 licenses would be awarded by a newly created three-member Cannabis Control Commission, and they'd be distributed through existing uh, geographic zones that were determined for the state medical marijuana lottery, which has yet to actually be finished. Uh, there'll be uh, one new dispensary 
from each of the geographic zones and four retail licenses in each zone and at least one worker co-op and one social equity applicant in each zone. Um, it's unclear exactly how the new commission would decide which applicants are granted the licenses. The bill leaves it up to the new commission to decide. The governor's proposal, which was introduced as part of the budget bill last month, uh, would utilize a random lottery, which we know how well that's worked out in other states. Um, but uh, the other difference, too, with the governor's bill would be that they would keep oversight of the industry under the Rhode Island Department of Business Regulation, which has a cannabis regulation office that runs their medical program now. So that's still the major debate over uh, who's going to oversee the licensing of retail stores, and that still hasn't been resolved. Uh, as I said, the, the shared bill between the state uh, Senate and the state House had a new independent commission and then also a cannabis office under the Department of Business Regulation. Um, and there's a two-year moratorium on new cultivator licenses, which are issued to businesses who grow cannabis and sell to retailers. And they already have 70 licensed cultivators um, who are only currently able to sell to the existing compassion centers, which are just a handful. Um, and the new bill, like all the other proposals, of course, would tax cannabis roughly 20% and a new 10% cannabis tax on top of that and a sales tax. And I'm running out of time, but this is progress. Not surprising. Who knows what will happen to the medical program? I'll be talking more about it, so stay in the loop. Thanks for letting oh. me report on uh, Rhode Island. I'm Victoria Lippman, State of Cannabis News Hour. Uh, thank you so much, Victoria. And sorry we're rushing you off. We just want to make sure we get to all of our correspondents. And up next, we've got Guy Ricourt, co-founder and CEO at Papa and Barkley, Legacy Turned Legal. What do you have for us today? Hey, good morning, Nicole. Good morning, Susan. Good morning, Rico. Um, yeah, today my article comes from Benzinga, and it's about the BDSA, re BDSA report. Global cannabis sales will jump 22% in 2022 and grow to $61 billion by 26. So no surprise that in the whole world, um, most of this revenue is being generated here in the U.S., However, the whole world is now involved with a compounded annual gr growth rate that's growing more than 16%. Um, here in California, we continue to be the largest contributor in the U.S. Uh, the article does go on to give some good numbers. I suggest you read them. Since we're short on time, I'm not going to go too deep a dive. But uh, legal cannabis in the, US, in the U.S. will surpass $28 billion in 2022, an approximate 20% growth over 2021. 2021's was 24 billion. BDSA forecast that the USA will reach 46 billion dollars. California, which launched its adult use market in 2018, will remain the largest contributor to overall U.S. sales growth. Several other markets are expected to be major contributors to the total U.S. sales by 2026, with the top four contributors growth to be New York, New Jersey, Florida, Michigan. Canada legal sales, also an estimated 3.4 billion in 2021, are projected to climb to 4.7 billion in 2022 and nearly 6.3 billion in 2026, a compounded annual growth rate of about 11%. The international markets are currently at about 1.4 billion uh, in 2021, growing to 2.2 billion in 2022, uh, and by 2026, 9.5 billion. So you can see that the U.S. is the majority of this proposed 61 billion and this current um, 29 million around the world. So we are definitely selling cannabis here domestically, hopefully soon internationally, if these laws ever get out of the way. But when I look at these numbers, not only here at home, but worldwide, the people have spoken. They've spoken with their dollars. People are buying this cannabis. We are not forcing cannabis on these people. And of course, I would remind us the BDSA only tracks compliance sales. And if we know that the traditional market still continues to outweigh the compliant market, so 
people are buying cannabis and they should just have safe access. I know we've said that a gajillion times on this show, but I'll say it again. Safe access is the only answer to all our problems. This is Guy Rokert reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. Yes, indeed, it is. It should be for everybody. Up next is Brandon Dorsky. He is the CEO of Fruit Slabs and a cannabis and intellectual property attorney, Reverend Long Beach. What you got for us, Brandon? My headline comes from greenmarketreport.com. It's Twitch Unlocks Cannabis Marketing. Twitch, a live video streaming service that focuses primarily on video games and is a subsidiary of Amazon, may present a viable avenue for marketing cannabis on social media. William Zorn, a content creator for Twitch and a sales marketing executive of Cannabis Marketing Agency, wrote a post about the marketing potential of the platform. It was Zorn's way of challenging cannabis marketers to look outside of the core social media sites into things that are a little bit newer and more exciting. He, he, list, he shot off a couple statistics, including 54% of gamers use cannabis, and 80, there was an 86% increase in cannabis use before or while playing video games between quarter one and quarter three of 2020. Zorn said that Twitch's age-gating of content is a highly effective tool for parties marketing cannabis because Twitch allows creators to market their materials for mature audiences, and you can also include a warning in your content for mature audiences that requires users to press a button to continue after that warning. That allows cannabis businesses to completely age-gate content. He went on to discuss how you could use Twitch in a variety of ways. Cannabis brands could launch their own channel, they could drop directly into chats or streams for free and host subscription giveaways, or they could just go and try and find content creators that are comfortable with aligning with them. Zorn pointed out that not all content creators would welcome it, but some would certainly be open to it. Uh, he said cannabis companies jumped into his streams, and that's how some organic marketing was born on his own streams. Twitch's terms of service are intentionally more friendly to cannabis. Their policy allows and permits for smoking weed during a live stream, so long as it occurs in a country or a region where cannabis is legal. Snoop Dogg took advantage of this in 2018, where he lit up while he was broadcasting from California, and the content remains on Twitch today. Overall, the article was a repost of Zorn's evangelical support for Twitch as an alternative and less frustrating social media platform for cannabis marketing. So cannabis businesses, if you're listening in and you don't yet have a Twitch channel, go ahead and create one because it might just be your most viable way to stay alive in the social media ecosystem. This is Brandon Dorsky reporting for the State of Cannabis News. Who's on Twitch? Who who here is on Twitch? All those social media companies could do this. They could all do it, just what Twitch is doing. I'm on Twitch, and uh, I've had a couple videos just about, like, products, and I did a review, and it's pretty rad. Twitch is a really decent platform. Um, It is one of the the original uh, streaming for games, Uh, so you can watch people compete uh, on video games, but it has evolved into so much more than that. You can learn. There's there's training. There's there's um, you know people teaching all kinds of social media things. Um, Twitch is rad. I'm all for Twitch. Twitch is for the cheering. Well, while we wrap up, uh, let's do an ending poll. Audience, why don't you raise your hands if you use Twitch? That was a really great show. If you missed any of it, make sure to catch the replay or find us a few hours after the show anywhere you get your podcasts or on our YouTube channel. And if you like the content, please subscribe and leave a review. A big thank you to all of the correspondents that comb through the news every day to bring you just what you need to know. A big thank you to Nicole and Rico for co-producing the show 
and our pinup girl, Liz Rogan. Thank you, audience, for being our eyes and ears when there's news in your city, county, state, or country. Your addition to our show makes the State of Cannabis News Hour news you can trust. You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Goodbye. Say goodbye, Rico. Now they said hello to me, but I said goodbye. You know why? It's time to go. Goodbye.